Hey everybody, Jim Sammons here, the Kayak Fishing Show, live, brought to you by Ballast Point Brewing Company. As always, I'm not going to lie, I'm drinking water today. This stuff's really good. If you haven't ever tried the pomegranate arrowhead, it's pretty tasty. But I, uh, my, our, our boat is in being serviced right now, and I have to go pick it up, and I don't want to be drinking and have to go tow my boat around. So anyway, uh, so yes, we're, we're brought to you by cold water. So I uh, hope you guys are all ready for a good long weekend. Uh, I know that I am because, you know, I need a vacation from all this stuff I've been out doing, which is nothing. Um, you know, our fishing is finally open and it's been super, super windy and I haven't even been able to go fishing. So, oh, well, um, got a great show for you here today. Um, this is season one, episode 10 of the Kayak Fishing Show. So, yeah, our very first season. Um you may remember uh, just, I think, last week or the week before, I had uh, Will and uh, James Macbeth on, and we talked about this trip we did to Lake Travers and our planned trip down the Petawawa River. And the reason we had planned on doing that shoot uh, was because of this shoot. Uh, we had such an amazing, amazing time on this shoot that we just wanted to do it again. And... Um, so that's what this episode is. It's from season one. And so with me, and you'll see Will in a, a, as a guest quite often because nobody's been on more of these shoots uh, than me, except for Will is like close second. I mean, because he was on for nine years of them. Ten, 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 and, and then the two for the day. So this actually, well, yeah, little bit of history also. I believe this was the final part of game on two, I want to say. Was it? I think so. Yeah. So, because yeah, I, I don't think we went up there the first year. It was the no. second. So, if, if drowned on the first long year. time fans of the show know that we were originally a DVD series called Game On. And when we got our first season on WFN, we took all of the segments, which originally those segments were five minutes long. <laughs> The location, we would go to a location, it would be five minutes of the best footage, and we had to take those five minutes and stretch them into a TV show. A lot of which was Jim doing tech tips, which was yeah, hilarious. There was, there was a lot of tips and Ken doing paddling tips. That's and... right. So now that you're watching the old episodes, you might be like, wow, they did a lot more just standing head talking about how to paddle and stuff. And that was because we originally had these five to 10 minute segments that we had to then turn into 20 minute segments right. for TV. Right. But we were so stoked that we got picked up and they yeah. wanted us to do the TV show. So, yeah, for uh, sure. so that's our, our, our whole shooting has changed. Um, oh, yeah. I know my skill level has changed. I mean, back then yeah, you got I, worse. I didn't think yeah, that I kept getting worse, but I mean, literally back then these first two years were literally like my first two years of really freshwater fishing yeah, and bass fishing and topwater and all that. So yep. there's de definitely a learning curve. I've learned a lot over the years on how to fish differently and all that. So, you know, and you can see that like in this one, I think we, we were fishing for stuff in the weeds and I think I missed, you know, nine out of 10 yep. 
Well, and that, that was one of the big advantages that both you and I had from doing the show for years. And I, I also had from doing Chad's show as well, was spending all of this time with great anglers in their own environments. You learned some amazing stuff. And I don't think right. any angler other than, you know, other people who have had television shows like we've we've had or who are traveling anglers have got to pick so many experts brains over the years, which as you and I know, applies to all fishing. So once you yeah, learn- so I we can do we can do okay at a whole bunch of things. We just suck <laughs> at right. most of them. We're mediocre at everything. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, we have a few people already checking it. So let's say hello before we run this video. Uh, Frog Lid watching on Kayak Fishing Tales again. I really appreciate everybody who does watch the the show over on kayak fishing tales our youtube channel uh liam young also watching on kayak fishing tales joseph french uh watching here on facebook in michigan how you doing? how's michigan man i uh do you see those posts from jeff pierce um the no. flooding and everything they've had um no, absolutely horrible uh uh dam broke and he oh, said there was wow. like a 30 foot wall of water lucky his house was high enough up that he he wasn't affected, but he uh, posted a bunch of pictures. It just just nasty stuff. So we're wishing all our friends out there mm. well. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Jean Wilson, uh, you've heard of Jean. Jean the Queen. She sometimes shows up to these. Things. Jean Jean is she gets an award for attendance. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Unending uh, support, unending, unwavering support. Uh, Dave Fowler, uh, he says, weather is finally nice here in Ottawa area. This is that is true? true? That's that's where I am. Yeah, we're at like 24 degrees today. It's beautiful out there. You you can't tell because all you can see is bright glow from behind me. But yeah, it's a gorgeous day. 24 degrees. That's freezing. No, that's Canadian temperature. The re Sorry, rest of the world temperatures, Jim. That's actually quite nice and warm. <laughs> and the leaves are out, which, you know, so the leaves have finally popped on the trees this week, which is awesome. The and bugs Dave are... The black flies are also here, though, Jim. Just so you know. Oh, are they? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Joseph says parts of Midland are under nine to ten feet of water. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's terrible. So, um, like I said, we we love this area. Mm. We've actually fished uh, like Traverse several times. It's now uh, my. It's become my favorite fishing spot in the world. Yeah, it, it's great. Um, it's not that far. I mean. But it has a super remote feel, once, particularly mm. when you start down the river. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I mean, I don't remember. Is it an hour or some hour and a half drive it's to a, get to the beginning of the park? Yeah, so it's a 45-minute drive up a logging road to get to the gate of the park. And then to do the Traverse, uh, to do the traverse trip, if you're going to do the whole Petawaba, you need to do run shuttle. So that means you drive an hour past the gate to the put-in. And then somebody, well, two people, have to drive two cars all the way back to uh, McNeely Landing, I think, a McNeely Lake, something along those lines, and leave a car behind because you're now basically six days up the river and you're going to need to go and get that. And that car, that car that you drop off is back at the gate. So um, you end up doing somewhere around four hours worth of driving to do this shuttle. Um, and then it, from where we are in Almont or uh, where Ken in the studio is, it's about... 45 minutes from Ken to get to that logging road. And it's about an hour and a half for me to get to that logging road. So it's, yeah. it's a decent drive. It's a day's, 
doing this trip is a day's worth of just getting to do this trip. Right. Yeah. So there's definitely some logistics involved and, and everything else. But like I said, th this first one, we had such a great time. We had some, a little bit of issues and we'll, we'll talk about that, but um, it was, it was an amazing trip. And like I said, that's why we, we so wanted to go do it again. And then we got there and the water levels were just too high to, for us to do it that next time we tried. But um, I mean, that we were there, like I said, uh, late September. Mm -hmm. Right over uh, my birthday. It, it, we always do this trip over, or anytime we do this specific trip, we've always tried to do it over my birthday because that's during the leaf change. Yeah. So yeah, around September 19th to September 27th. And crowds are basically thinned out. Gone. Yeah, you yeah. won't see anybody in Algonquin Park usually past, uh, once the kids go back to school, so. And the bugs are gone. Bugs are as low as they'll be for sure. And the pike. And musky, so the the Esox, uh, are feeding up at that time, getting ready to go, uh, and and my moving to the deeper water, so they feed up in the shallows, and it's usually an amazing time of year um, for big hungry topwater strikes. Yeah, just, like I said, just cool place. Uh, we have a comment from Monty Gillespie: less commentary, more fishing. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Let's uh, let's get this thing rolling, and we'll uh, chat more about it as we get there so boom actually i gotta put it in there don't i there it is this week on the kayak fishing show i'm headed to the virgin waters of petawawa river deep in the heart of ontario canada ken whiting i'll be dropping lures where no other kayak fisherman has before hoping for a few cats walleye and if luck holds some big musky stay tuned this one's really cool Really cool. Really cool. That's how you used to open every show. We had those all pre-written for you. <laughs> this one's the bomb. While kayak fishing has been exploding in Off the hook. Off the hook. Uh, yeah, look at these. Nice. From the seat of his ocean kayak, Jim challenges the world's top game fish and puts his kayak fishing skills to the ultimate test. Never fought a kayak, have you, fish? From, from the seat of his ocean kayak, Jim puts his butt to the ultimate test. To discover the best fishing destination yeah, not, in the world. not as comfortable as the newer kayaks, that's for sure. Uh, Dave, this was probably 13 years ago, so you're looking at... What is that, Jim? 2007? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. All the years have melded together. Mm -hmm. The Kayak Fishing Show is brought to you in part by Ocean Kayak, makers of the Trident series of fishing kayaks. Ex officio, clothing, footwear, and gear for the adventurous spirit. Scotty, the way to fit. Pay no attention to any of these sponsors. <laughs> hey, Standard Horizon, like still buy their radios. They're great. Yeah. Maui Jim, eliminate glare. I have one pair of Maui Jims left that I covered. And the Heliconia Press, cutting edge outdoors I still wear them. Yeah, no, for sure, but I covered them. 
Welcome to Canada, eh? <laughs> they're called Mounties. A car. It's not even a Mustang. Last week on the Kayak Fishing Show with Jim Sammons, Jim visited Ontario where he joined renowned kayak angler Jamie Pistilli on the hunt for muskie. One take, I can't even do that on my own show. Oh, uh, Jamie. why the muskie is called a fish of a thousand casts. Fortunately, he also learned why muskie fishing is so addictive. Have you showed this episode yet, Jim? No. That's right after that he gets the hook buried through his thumb. After visiting a well-traveled section of the Madawaska River, the guys were joined by champion kayaker Ken Whiting as they explored Lake Traverse, deep in Canada's famed Algonquin Park. With a maze of logging roads providing the only access to the lake, the muskie here don't Who's that guy? He's got a, a funny haircut. Willing to bite. Short. Come with Jamie and go for the muskie and got it, man. Giant muskie there. <laughs> hey, you got one though. <laughs> he got that on a trolling a whopper plopper. Yeah, uh, loon. Yeah, loon lure. Basically, the early version of the whopper plopper. Big city fishing. Jim and Ken, however, have different plans. This week on the kayak fishing show, Jim and Ken pack their camping gear into their kayaks and head to the end of Lake Traverse, where the Petawawa River resumes its course. Today we're at Petawawa on our first day of a six-day paddle trip through uh, Algonquin Park. Our, our friend Jamie Pastilli came and joined us for a couple of days. Uh, there's uh, there's pike, bass, walleye, and muskie in these lakes and rivers. So uh, it's been a long time since I've done a multi-day paddle trip. And uh, catfish. Really looking forward Caught to so it. many catfish. It's kind of hard to beat this scenery already. Let's just hope the fish cooperate with us. Well, if I remember, we would just get bored, and if you wanted to catch like five catfish in a row, you just bought them jigged for like a second. Yeah, there were holes like below the rapids, deep, deep pools. Yeah. Stay tuned as Jim and Ken push the limits of their fishing kayaks and hook into some classic Petawawa musky. Classic. Oh, that's Lisa laughing. (laughs) Recognize that laugh anywhere. So I think one thing that, uh, that was interesting about that time of year that we go, I mean, like I said, it it was kind of ideal. The leaves were changing, but we had the craziest variety of weather over Mm. the six days. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, when we were on Lake Travers, um, it was absolutely bitter, freezing cold. Mm-hmm. And remember that Ken brought me um, his wife's <laughs> his wife's sleeping bag, and, and and Nicole is about five feet tall. So that remember that it, the sleeping yeah. bag like came to like on like here on yeah. So the, my whole upper body was out of the sleeping bag, and it was below freezing at night. Yep. And you remember, Jim, I was in a silky suit. Yeah, like which was like, like a, a basically a, a pair of pajamas made out of <laughs> out of sleeping bag material. Yeah, it was so, and I got super cold. 
Yeah, that it was like the first two nights, and then we had beautiful weather, and then I think we had some rain, and then we had mm-hmm. beautiful. It was absolutely. I mean, it was a crazy That's period. But Canada in the fall, honestly, it's like that. Um, Dave Thompson is asking, was there any brook trout fishing? Not in this system. Uh, from what I understand, there is a chance at uh, a lake trout in this system. Um, we've never caught them and we have tried multiple times. Um, I just don't think Traverse gets deep enough for them. I'm not an expert on trout. Um, and there are uh, some trout areas in Algonquin Park, but not. Uh, we've never caught a trout in this specific system. Um, so I would say no to brook trout. On in they've, the all, they've all been eaten by all the muskie. <laughs> Honestly, the, the muskies are voracious, and there's a lot of them in this system. And there's not a lot that make not not a lot of stuff makes it alive. Let's keep it rolling. Yep. Welcome back to the kayak fishing show with Jim Sammons. This week, Jim is hooked up with world champion whitewater kayaker, become obsessed kayak angler, Ken Whiting, on a four-day river trip through Canada's remote wilderness. You know, he made, Ken would make that me put that in. That the is fact that the world champion. Oh, I'm sure. Now James is my boss, and he makes me put that in everything <laughs> I do for him. Finally saw a couple people. So, I mean, we're here in, uh, I don't remember what month it is, September. <laughs> yeah, just ap- after Labor Day people uh this park just quiets right down it's pretty busy it gets pretty busy in the uh, in the summer although this this section it's remote it's committing and it's got white water that uh you if, if you're not experienced with white water pre-gopro around and the portage yeah that's right that's that sony yeah we had to have a underwater housing on a little cam on a little handy cam of a drop pool you got a drop in the riverbed ends up in a big calm pool Pretty this is the exact spot we bailed out on the second trip is it really yep because that was gnarly the second trip oh yeah we're looking at a good four foot difference in water got some bump and grind on the river left hand side which is on our right right now and then oh, that's the rock uh, you can, on yeah. the left side where those guys got washed yep. into. 100%. Okay. This is exactly the same spot except for, I mean, just completely different level. What a difference, eh? That's crazy. I didn't even realize that. With their fish finders on, Jim and Ken are able to identify drop-offs and other fish-friendly structures at the bottom of rapids. With lighter jigging rods stowed in their kayaks for easy access, they're able to take quick advantage of the pools that they encounter. The fish finder, the sonar, has been great at the bottom of these rapids, finding spots, finding holes for walleye, for, uh, for well, uh, catfish too, but really we're after walleye. Yeah, we're after walleye. I think we caught a couple, but got a... Caught a ton of those catfish. Oh yeah, the cats were just wild. Get that park. A lot of the folks that uh, paddle this river system will pick up a couple of catfish for dinner. Like that's a pretty common like easy grab to for a meal type of thing 
And because it's they're super clean freshwater catfish, so they're you know pretty good eating on top of that. I would straighten the hooks on those lead heads. I think we went through like 20 or so lead heads and ran out. Yeah. Funny looking fish, but uh, if you're just into catching fish, they're awfully fine. It was weird fishing with those just minnow on a lead head. Yeah. Classic, classic Waddy's Wiggler. One of the more technical and challenging rapids of the trip. What was very tough for me was getting used to water running uphill. You know, you're going down a river, the water's moving down, but then the current next to it, because I think I get pinned water, on a rock around here. Else, the water yeah. actually is going a different direction. Right, right there. there. And you need to be able to, to learn to read that because those heavy lines, if you're not paying attention and you're not on the right edge of your kayak, you'll find yourself flipped over very quick. Uh, so you need to learn uh, to do eddy turns and just just be more aware. So. That's one of the most important things. Oh, it's so tough with those super long kayaks, too. I mean, now we build, like, Jackson builds kayaks specifically for doing this type of water. But remember, you're paddling, like, what? That's a Trident 13? Yeah, I think so. That's a pretty, like, long kayak for this type of maneuvering. Also, it's really easy. I remember I smacked the crap out of my shin right there. Sideways against a rock like this. And you got to learn how yeah, to try 13 boat get pinned against that rock. So you need to learn to turn the boat away. From but the we had thigh straps in these, which made it with an exciting whitewater day pretty accessible river behind them. The guys set up camp and begin making plans for the next day as the section ahead is no weed beds and lots of musky. You tronky, the instigator. Mm -hmm. So Lisa was another camera person that, we, that used to come with us here in them. But you can still fit enough gear into a kayak for camping trips as long as you pack it right. Okay, since um, you threw Ken under the bus for freezing us to death, <laughs> um, these campsites were absolutely beautiful all along the river. They had, right. well, we mentioned it actually last time. The most scenic toilets ever. Yep, yep. Algonquin Park has mastered the art of putting a crap box with a view <laughs> and they were amazing but if you recall our friend lisa utronki we i mean ken i uh, ken like figured out exactly how much food to have oh yeah and how many squares of toilet paper oh, to have that's right that's right and utronki dropped one of the rolls of toilet paper right into the crapper <laughs> yeah we lost and it was like 
a large portion of our like it was like okay we're all on toilet paper rations now yeah each of you get a sheet a day for the next six days cannot spare a square yeah (laughs) and so that's what ken whiting is going to look at in this week's kayaking tip brought to you by ocean kayak makers of the trident series of fishing kayaks although the best kayaks for overnight trips are traditional sea kayaks, which have watertight compartments in the bow and in the stern. The sit-on-top fishing kayaks can also work great, as long as you have a hatch to access the interior. If you don't have the hatch, then you've got to pack all your Oh, Ken's still rocking that same haircut. Really top-heavy and unstable. I think he goes to the same barber. One of the great benefits of Ocean Kayaks Trident Series, which has rods. An old blind woman. Not only does it let you stow your rods, but it gives you access to the whole center of the kayak for storing gear. The first rule when packing a kayak is to assume that everything is going to be wet. And so that means packing things in dry bags. NRS makes dry bags in a wide variety of sizes, but their 20 liter dry bag is a good general purpose bag and it fits well in kayaks. The second rule for packing a kayak is that you'll want to have your heaviest items in the center and as low as possible in the kayak. For example, if I have to bring drinking water, I want to put that in the center and low right against the hull of the kayak rather than on top of the kayak or in the end. Right next to the bags of wine. You don't need drinking water. You just bring a pump and seven bags of wine. The third and final big rule is to think about what stuff you're going to need to get at first. And you want to pack that stuff last. Because the last thing you want to do is have to remove everything to get at that one piece of gear. For this very reason, I like to keep a dry bag on top of my kayak with things that I want quick access to, like a raincoat, an extra layer, hat, sunscreen, shades, or snacks. So that's all for this week. Until next time, I'm Ken Whiting, and that's your Ocean Kayak Kayaking Tip of the Week. For the most comprehensive guide to kayak fishing, pick up a copy of The Ultimate Guide to Kayak Fishing at your local outdoor store or at kayakfishingshow.com. Before the sun even has a chance to clear the horizon, the guys hit the water, hoping to tap into an early morning bite. You ain't the ledge, you're the pusher. You ain't the runner, you're the sister. Is this Brock? It sure is. It's... That's, I mean, that's some classic Brock, too, so. His voice gets gravelier the uh, older he gets. <laughs> By the time he's in his like late sixties, we won't understand a word he's saying anymore. That's a nice fish. And yep. even though our hookup ratio has been fairly low, we get a we're getting a lot of. This is before all the pike and musky Nazis started giving us garbage about using lip grippers. Well, I mean that it just the, the lip grippers were still new at that time, so that's what we were all using. We thought that was a better way to go. It wasn't until. Um, we started seeing the effect yeah. on the on their lips um, that that changed. So we, we don't use them anymore. Um, it's you know it's a learning curve. Thirteen years ago, tech the tech was different. You ain't the drink. You're the drunk. Surrounded here by all these weeds. <laughs> You gotta fish top water. You gotta fish weedless. <laughs> so then they're hitting it and missing it. Stay tuned as Jim and Ken approach the biggest rapid of the trip and change their musky strategy to some unbelievable results. <laughs> the kayak fishing show is brought. 
So yeah, in that um, in that segment, we were talking about uh, fishing for the uh, the musky and fishing topwater um, and fishing topwater weedless. Um, and like I said, that was early. I mean, I had never fished this way before, so it, mm -hmm. it was very much a, a learning curve. Well, you had and just got you, those frogs. Remember those frogs you got? I can't remember the name of your buddy that made them. Oh, that's right. And it was like a, there was a new lure on top of all of it for you. you I mean, they were cool. Yeah, they and they got blown up on a lot, but you you missed so many. And that's probably as much my inexperience as anything. And you were getting so frustrated with Ken and I missing so many. And you're like, no more frogs, no more weedless. Well, because no you guys frogs. would catch you guys would catch them on lures, but then you would start fishing with frogs because it was fun. And it was so, it, you had to, you hey, had to fish weedless in those beds. So. Yeah. Well, uh, so here's the funny part about all that. Now, James makes fun of me relentlessly for the fact that I never switch from frogs when I'm fishing Travers. Like I literally pretty much hit Travers, never switch off of a frog. And my hookup ratio is quarter what his is. If it probably worse, to be honest. But I don't really care. Because yeah, you get so many more blow-ups. And it's so much fun. It's just right. like, I don't like, and you know, let's be 100% honest. I hate dealing, like, muskie are really cool. And getting a really cool picture of the muskie is cool. But we're so protective of that fish and so protective of their jaws. And, and so protective of your fingers. Of your finger. So protective of your fingers <laughs> that you don't. Well, like I, I don't want to deal with them if I don't have to. So it's kind of, kind of more fun to have them blow up on a frog, get them close to the boat, and then they go shake their heads and just drop your lure, and it's like, ah, sweet! I didn't have to take it out of the water. Although then you miss out on the photo and all that type of stuff. So there's definitely, it oh, sounds, I, like, it sounds like an excuse, but it's actually kind of awesome. I, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Dave Thompson. Does this access require permits? So in Canada, first off, uh, nobody can fish without a license. Secondly, you need to be in the correct season. So something that doesn't happen in the States, uh, I, I don't know if it's all States, but at least most States is there's the, here we have seasons for fish and it's highly regulated. Um, Esox in particular, so muskie in particular. Um, and you can't even catch and release those fish out of season. So that's part two. Part three to get into Algonquin Park, you need to uh, you need to pay to get into the park. So there is a permit for camping in the park, and if they'll ask you if you're fishing, and if you're fishing, you have to show them your license. So those are all sort of part and partial. And last but not least, of course, with musky, I think one of the licenses allows you to keep one, but m most licenses it's all catch and release. So you have to also be very careful with the fish. Now, is that expensive? Not really. I think Jim, you're out of towner permit. Yeah, it's it's inexpensive. Like Ten it's bucks. Not, yeah, it's it's not, um, it's not it's not terrible. And the, the cost of going into the park is the same as you pay going to any campground. So it's you know whatever twenty twenty bucks or something like that, and that's covering the cost of you camping, right? Um, so the long answer to an easy question, kind of yes, but mainly you just need your licenses and and your permission to go into the park. I'd be at the right season. And the other thing about Algonquin, and if you're going to run the Petawawa, they regulate the number of people that are going down. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So they're not overwhelming their campsites mm-hmm. or anything like that. Is that something? Because I know we've always just gone up there because it's not a busy time. Is mm-hmm. that something you can reserve in advance or do you have to just take a chance and go? You can now. You always had to reserve in advance. So um, you you if you just showed up, then it would first come, first serve. And most of the time that would be full in in the summer. Now, so it's not only that they're making sure that there's not an, an overflow. They're actually also making sure that the people entering the Petawawa are staged to a degree. So two people can't enter the river or aren't supposed to, they're trying to get it so that two people aren't entering, two groups aren't entering the river at the exact same time. Um, because where the campsites are, are kind of staged along the river to, to be sort of, you know, that half a day to a day's paddle in between each one. So um, for, it used to be that you had to call in and generally you wanted to reserve about three months in advance. Um, the fall, it's not as bad. Um, but now they have it online. You can you can reserve and you can even reserve your campsites for Lake Travers to say, you know, my plan on being at this campsite. It's it's sort of a, you know, it's it's an honor system. So you might get there and somebody else might be in the site, but there's always enough campsites on the lake for the amount of permitted people. And like, and it's not that many. I think it's like for Travers, I think it's only eight or nine campsites. Yeah. Which when you and- think about that big lake, that's not a lot. Yeah, and as remote as it is and everything, I mean, all the campsites are really well maintained, good mm-hmm. fire pits, and yep. um, they actually even make sure that there's enough sort of uh, because you're not allowed to bring wood into the park because of the uh, of the beetles that are destroying the trees. Um, they're very protective of the park, so they've actually, from what I understand, also kind of make sure that each campsite has enough scrub wood in it for people to be able to forage for their own wood. Now you're not allowed to chop down trees, but you have to go pick up sticks. And as you know, there's always just a ton of sort of drift in in a natural forest like that. There's a ton of driftwood and scrub around, but um, yeah, you're not allowed to like bring in a load of logs. Um, You can buy some, I think at the campsite, but you don't need to, if you're doing some of the remote camping. Yeah. That's still, I said, I mean, this was one of the first years and it's still always been one of my most memorable trips. Uh, It's just, yeah, and as I said, now it's become the place I go three times a year just because it's so awesome. I wish I could do the Petawawa, the whole thing again, um, but there's a level of skill required as we fly. Right. I wonder how that would work. Um, if it would work better for us with like inflatable kayaks. So the portages well, might be a little easier. Absolutely. I mean, anything that makes it easier to hike your stuff up. I think, you know, to be honest, you and I both discovered the portages of your kayak aren't necessarily the worst part. The worst part is all the gear you brought with you. Well, right. And we're musky fishing. So, which means we have, so you got all your tackle, but then you also have all your camping camping gear. So like a food barrel, um, seven bags of wine, (laughs) (laughs) that tends to be the worst part about having, having to do a portage is breaking everything down, lugging at the one kilometer, to the next or whatever, however far it is, and then hauling the kayaks. Is even with Ken paddling the kayaks through, or James too paddling the kayaks through the rapids, hiking all that gear between each spot. Yeah, yeah. it was multi trips. Yeah, and they're not short sure portages. No, no, because most those those rapids, those the most of the, if it was just a single drop, we would all just go okay, let's do it. Um, but it's usually like there's one that's I think it's called one mile rapid. And it is a mile of swift, so rocky, 
um, moving water. I think that might be where you got hung up, that shot where you get hung up. I think that might have been in the one mile. I don't recall. It's too long ago. I really I really wish we could have done that again. I'll try it again some other time. Maui Jim. Welcome back to the Kayak Fishing Show with Jim Sammons. This week, Jim and Ken Whiting are on a four-day river trip through Ontario's Algonquin Park on the hunt for muskie. For the past two days, Jim and Ken have primarily thrown weedless rigged frogs into the thick weeds. Although they've been getting lots of dynamic hits from hungry muskie, the hookup percentage has been painfully low. Painful for the photographer. <laughs> <laughs> He's got uh, both sets of hooks in him right now. He only had one in until he kind of did a, a roll up the line. Got the other one in the back of his head. And that's why we don't use lip grippers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. The famous oh, musky roll. And the, especially when they're swinging yeah, dual treble hooks man. around. Yeah, and they just get the line caught around them, which damages them. and. The magic swimmer. You caught a few fish on that over the years. For sure. This is the top of a little rapid. I, I think ever since we figured this out, we've gotten fish at the top of every rapid. So, going. This one's a little bit smaller. I tossed it behind a log and he hit it right behind a log. Three muskie for me today. How many is Ken out? <laughs> Ken, how many muskie do you have today? <laughs> Like I said, the thing is, we, we've kind of figured this out. I mean, the stabile lures certainly are, 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 are whacking the fish, and we found that the bottom and the top of, the, of each of these rapids, there's a little bit more current, is where we've actually gotten the fish to stick. Uh, I got one up there. It was kind of a funneling current right next to a rock. Yeah. You smell a bit musky. <laughs> I am a bit musky. Just a mouthful of teeth, those fish. It's funny now. Now that we've been fishing with them for a few years, we also know that you can just sort of hold them by the back, and they just kind of calm right down. Backstrap them. That goo. Oh, yeah, that smell sticks with you for days. <laughs> they call them musky for a reason. <laughs> I got it. 
a better Mosque fan. This is about 10 minutes after my second, which was two minutes after my first. There's the little baby that is caught. Three musky in about 15 minutes. Sibyl Swimmer. Double articulation. Pretty sure I still have Swimming one of those Sibyls that we had from that trip that's all gnawed up. Uh, <laughs> I don't doubt it. That was just a, a Releasing great, great lure. Safely can be a real challenge because they've got huge mouths, a nasty set of teeth, and you're usually using big lures with lots of hooks. And so that's what Jim Sammons is going to look at in this week's. Oh, okay, we talk, probably talk about using draw spreaders, which they don't like those either. No, although that that's contentious. There is definitely a lot of people that believe it does less damage. Since nets are awkward to use from a kayak, we use boga grips. So. Gene actually says the same twisting and thrashing with bowfin. Yeah. Their jaws break with those grippers. Well, actually, with a good quality boga grip, and I will say this is different with the head spins. So yeah. you're not as likely to break their jaw, but what they'll do is they'll they'll pierce that membrane mm -hmm. underneath, you know, in their jaw, and it makes it so they um it could get torn and infected and that sort of thing. Well, and then so, the, the second part of that is that the line gets wrapped too. And that actually is where most right. of the damage happens is the line gets in under their scales and cuts into them. Um, th so it's funny because this particular segment, I remember us filming it. And then I remember it was about four years after, I'm pretty sure that this show aired a second time somewhere. And of course we had done plenty of musky fishing since then and learned a lot and the the rules had changed. I mean, you got to remember that what we're talking about here was what musky, like professional musky anglers had told us. This was not like we made this crap up. Um, so it was interesting because really just the way that people treated uh, catch and release musky at that time, um, it, it, it went through a change. Um, and now we're much, much more tender on the fish. And most of the time, don't even take them out of the water if we can avoid it. Right. Right. As I said, like you were saying, I'd rather just get the blow ups and not even have to deal with them. Exactly. Especially. Right. And, and I think James actually has the right idea is just switching over to single hooks mm -hmm. uh, or fixed hook, single Absolutely. hook. I mean, and, so, much, he's, his, so much better for the fish and so much better for you. And his hookup ratio hasn't suffered because of it. That's the crazy thing. Like, I mean, I pretty much only fish with soft plastic frogs now. And my hookup ratio is like, you know, for every blow up, every 10 blow ups, I'll, I'll hook one musky. And, you know, it's pretty good um, once you learn to just let it eat it. Um, but James's hookup ratio is pretty good. I mean, he's kind of, you know, five for 10, if not more. Um, and he's only and we're both only using single hooks now. Neither of us throw things with treble hooks. A lot of it because of the weeds. Um, the weed beds are just thick. Um, you're, right. you're at the bottom. You got to remember we're in a moving river in this segment, which means you can, you know, most of that weed has been pushed down river or is low. Um, so you could fish with these big treble hook lures. You can't do that on Traverse in, in the good spots anyway. Right. And, and we also have discovered you just don't need those monster double cowgirl musky lures that these guys throw i mean done very well on smaller lures i think that those i think i mean to to comment on it i'm pretty sure that those in the areas that those guys are fishing with them work really good and they're they catch the bigger musky yeah more than likely in we're, we're, we're talking like about numbers 
Well, but we're also talking about a very specific fishing area and a and a style of fishing. These are uh, this lake is not pounded heavily. It is a relatively unvisited lake. Most of the people that visit there are fishing for walleye or catfish anyway. So the muskie just don't see the pressure. And um, it's a much more live ecosystem in that the muskie are consuming each other that, that we just don't see the big monster ones. You'll see a couple of them a year. Um, and usually you'll see them and not catch them. They'll follow your lure all the way to the boat. But you, but most you're just catching numbers. If you want to catch muskie, you want to get that like fish of 10,000 casts off your back. This is the place to go. And you don't need a big lure to do it. Unless you're Jameson. Unless you're, well. The Boga Grip holds the fish tight, <laughs> lets you weigh the fish, but also has a pivoting gripper. So when the fish spins, and it will spin, you won't do any damage to its jaws or mouth. Now, something to keep in mind, if you're going to use lip grippers to land muskie, you want to use large ones. You want to keep that lure as far yeah. away from your hand as possible. We learned that the hard way while fishing with Jamie earlier this year. While Jamie was looking at <laughs> a big muskie, the fish thrashed, and the large plug swung up and into his hand. Not a fun thing. There was a lot of F-bombs dropped mm -hmm. right there. Hey, it, that moment has always made me ridiculously cautious around landing those fish. just won't do the trick to get to those hooks that are deep inside the fish's mouth. This is also when a pair of jaw spreaders works well because they keep the More importantly, a pair of bolt cutters. Right. And safely as possible. Even with both of these tools, sometimes you just won't be able to remove the hooks without causing too much damage to the fish. And that's where bolt cutters come in handy. With a sturdy pair of bolt cutters, you can just cut <laughs> from, away the remove them from the fish the or the hand of your buddy. You've removed all the hooks. If you want to lift the muskie out of the water to get a photo, just make sure you do it quick and that you support its belly as you take it out of the water. The lip grippers should be used only to control its head, not. <gasps> not. Frozen. I think Jim is frozen too. Oh no, I'm all by myself. To bear the weight of the Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can you hear Did me? Did it well? freeze? Yep. Okay. So it, it well, yeah, it froze up for one second there for me. So we'll just uh, get it rolling again. And gently move it side to side. Once you feel the fish try to struggle free, it's ready to go. Catching muskie can be pretty tricky, and I consider myself pretty lucky to have been able to do that. But the true measure of achievement is to be able to release that muskie alive healthy. So make sure you have the proper tools to take care of the job. For more tips and your chance to win a fantastic kayak fishing package that includes an ocean kayak trident fishing Pay no attention to this ad. You can still go to kayakfishingshow.com. is recognized mm -hmm. by many as one of the premier canoe tripping parks in the world. I think world. you can still go to gameonmovie.com, too. understands why. God, when Jamie caught that musket, that just... Damn, that's a nice shot. A long, long time ago. But it's still, it just... Every day was so long. So much time on the water, so much fishing. It just flew by. If I was the wind... Blowing from the east, I blow a thousand miles. Blow a to protect our heads while running the whitewater in Algonquin Park, we chose Sweet Helmet. Sweet! I was using the Wanderer and Ken. Still the best ones out there, I think. 
has a high-impact ABS shell with carbon fiber reinforced critical areas. I am not reading this off of a list of specs, I swear. Cover your temples in the base of your skull. Here, Jim, read this. Shake your head. The helmet has to be comfortable and stay in place. That's why we went with the best helmets available. You can see their full line of protective products at sweetprotection.com. So ends another epic kayak fishing adventure, but Jim's next adventure is just around the corner. Tune in next week as Jim joins a group of 16 other kayak anglers aboard the Islander Mothership for a six-day trip. That's funny. Paul just posted Island about this today. Baja, yeah. An area known for its healthy yellowtail population. That was a fun trip. Uh, Brutal, fun. Uh, yeah. Special thanks goes took out my to stomach. Hardware for took my stomach like three years to recover. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, what what I remember about this, this trip, though, um, I think every one of us on the trip, I mean... It was six, seven days, and every one of us was like, can we just keep going? Can we just keep going? I could do this for another six days. It was it was so amazing. It was so beautiful. The fishing was so good. We, Everything about that trip, like I said, that's what we so wanted to do it again. And, and came I, enough food for us to stay for another month, I think, so... Yeah, yeah, and it, it really was. We just those... didn't have enough toilet paper, or we would have stayed. <laughs> it was one of those things too, and I and I've said this on on kind of our remote trips, and I don't know if if these things were all that they weren't as prevalent for sure, but you didn't have you did not have a cell phone, a proper cell phone, until our first uh, until that remote trip in Alaska it was the first time that you I remember you having a cell phone on a trip. And, and being in communication. And remember, this is before we had those GPS notifiers. Right. And Algonquin Park, there's no cell phone signal to this day. Right. So you're unplugged, man. You're Yeah, it was, it was you, it took a, you know, like I said, maybe half a day to go, well, you know, where were you thinking you might want to look at your phone or check in or in? It's like, well, you can't. And then you just got into it and yep. you took, completely disconnected it was such a cool trip one of our uh, for sure uh, another one of our great memories so. and honestly that's one of the things the reason why james and i love going to traverse even today is we can't be in communication there is no cell phone signal you're unplugged and it usually there's a bit of a panic that sets in after three days and you're like uh i'm gonna get home to so many emails <laughs> But you also kind of need that from time to time. And I think we forget that. I think we get so used to living that way that we forget what it was like to just tune out. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, when we were kids, at least when I was a kid, which is a little bit before you were a kid, you know, it's like you, you left in the morning and you came home at night. You know, you didn't. Yep. There was no. Well, and what's crazy is parents or anything and people get afraid like they're not going to be safe unless they have cell phone signal. I'm like, it wasn't that long ago we didn't have cell phone signals ever. Like it's, I think you'll be okay. I think you'll, I think you'll make it. Well, well, sir, thanks for coming on with me again. And I'm sure you'll be on a bunch more of these. Cause like I said, you know, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> I like to have a, a guest and uh, you were on so many of these and I can't always get a hold of everybody and I can't always get a hold of the people I want on the show. So I can always uh, call you. Yeah. And I mean, really? Yeah. The only, the only ones I haven't been on are the ones that haven't uh, aired yet. So. Right. 
right. And looking forward to seeing when those hit the light of day. We're uh, we 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 actually have some uh, some uh, episodes coming up that have not even aired on TV. No, we are going to be airing on here first. Oh. And those will be coming up, so we'll have an announcement about that. That was me feeding you a segue. Do you like that? I, I got that. That was that was very, very <laughs> subtle. <laughs> Will, thanks, man. No problem, buddy. Have a good weekend. Bye, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I, I mean, like I said, I, I love looking at these back at these old ones, season one, and you know we'll be jumping into season two here not too long. But uh, next week will be our uh, Islander trip uh, to Cedros. Uh, mothership trip that was such a good time. Um, no idea who the guest will be yet, but uh, it was an amazing trip. So uh, thank you all for joining us. And as always, if you are getting out on the water, please make sure you're always wear your PFD and keep your paddle right side up. You take care. Oh, now I'm going to fix it. Woo!